the way it's constructed now or the way it's discussed is like the model European border, right? Uh, that's uh, I've seen that phrase kicked around a few times. Um, for example, there was like a Deutsche Welle article. German-Danish border serves as model for Europe. Germany and Denmark can be proud of their post-war solutions to minority issues along their shared border. Their success story influences governmental policies throughout Europe. And the basic gist of it is that, you know, there's uh, there's different minority groups, like there's Danes in like the German territory and some Germans in the Danish territory, but they cross the border and they get along and they're not discriminated against and they have, you know, various uh, minority rights in the respective uh, other country. And so this this argument is always that, oh, well, like, look, we, we really learned how to do it right. We, we um, handled this border and handled the minority groups around the border in the right way, and it's this model for other places. And we'll get into it, but I think there's, like, a, there's a number of issues with that in terms of, well, A, how well it was even done in the first place, B, like, how applicable that is for, for different groups. Like, I know, Isaac, like, you, you brought up... Um, before we started recording like well this idea that like what works for danes and germans will work for like turks and kurds or you know any number yeah. of problematic borders in the world it just it doesn't quite hold up yeah it's maybe easier if you're two yeah wealthy white countries with cultures that are quite quite similar cultures and languages that are not uh, not too different yeah and it's like i mean you know they'll probably be like oh no no you put too much like you know, meretish on your like fish brooch and you like barbarian, <laughs> but like yeah, I mean, there's like we said, it's it. There's just there's probably some reasons this works specifically here, and like that's that's good. I'm I'm happy for them that they're not uh, currently fighting, but it seems like another form of European exceptionalism to say, oh well, just if you just do what the Danes and Germans do, like you too can have peace, and like therefore, if you don't have peace. It must be something wrong in your implementation or, or in your policies. And it's funny because in this article they talk about um, they talk about you know it being from 2002. They talk about uh, Hungary uh, being a model for like being one of the most tolerant and progressive countries towards minorities, um, dating this a little bit uh, and showing maybe <laughs> that uh, Hungary borrowing this model didn't exactly guarantee a progressive future in that country as it sort of slides into right. a more uh, xenophobic and authoritarian direction. So. It was kind of funny to read that from 20 years ago and be like, ah, oh, yes, progressive, tolerant, hungry, definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and I think like the, the, the fact that, you know, for, for both of us, the Danish-German border sort of seems so so boring and maybe the, that that is sort of, I mean, that's how they probably want it to seem, right? Like the, that's sort of the narrative is like, oh, it's, you know, a boring border is probably like a good border. You know, you don't want your border to be sort of too too exciting. But I think the very fact that like there's this sort of, it seems like this effort to like, hold this border up as some sort of like example uh, is exactly kind of what deserves to be like maybe questioned. But, but my, my favorite sort of uh, strange or sort of an anomaly connected to, to the, the myth of this border and, and these wars is the Danish protest pig, um, which was, was a pig that was developed by Danish pr pig breeders following the Second Schleswig War. So as we just said, um, the Prussians won the Second Schleswig War, and then the Danes living in the regions that were conquered uh, were prohibited from flying the Danish flag, uh, which um, might be recognizable to some. It's, you know, the it looks like all the other Scandinavian flags, except for, so, so, so with the sort of cross symbol, uh, except that it's red and white. Um, and so in sort of 
retaliation or in protest of of this prohibition of flying the Danish flag. These pig breeders bred this red and white pig. So it's a it's a sort of red pig. Although I feel like red is kind of stretching. It's it's sort of more more. I orangey, see where they're coming but, from. It's a very yeah. cute pig. It's like it's nice. It's a nice color. Yeah. Yeah, it's like you know a dark orange, sort of verging on red pig with a with a white band around its sort of midriff, yeah. um, and so this was you know supposed to represent the uh, or symbolize the the Danish flag during this time when uh, they were not able to fly it in these territories. Nationalism is like I mean, just, I, I, going through these episodes. Like I just I keep saying like. Like I keep finding myself just saying banalities about like how dumb borders and like nations are. And like, sometimes I get tired of those people that are always like, Oh, you know, destroy the nation state or whatever. But like, the more you do this, the more you learn about these stuff, you're like, wait, so a, like they banned the flag. That's obviously annoying. But then their response was like, (laughs) I love Denmark so much. I'm going to make my pigs look like the flag. Like, like just can't we devote our energy to literally anything else? It's so stupid. Yeah. I'm excited for like uh, I'm excited for the, the we're gonna need some real real high end GMO work to get some like yellow and blue uh, livestock going for the oh, current yeah. crisis. Yeah, yeah. So that's that's pigs. We actually have another we actually have another pig story later. There's two two different types of pigs involved in this border. Um, but now we'll talk about uh, we'll talk about lions because the main. Like the sort of main like source of uh, triumph and, and heroism on the Danish side was uh, this battle of Eisted in 24-25 July 1850, um, and they uh, they they beat the Danes beat the uh, the Schleswig army. Uh, at this point, it wasn't Prussia fighting them. That was the second one when Prussia got involved and then and then won. So. The Danes, the Danes do pretty well. Uh, they they take over some of the territory here, um, and it's like this big this big victory. There's a song about it. Uh, that's apparently famous. Det var ein Sommermorgen. It was a summer morning that uh, talks about Ooh. the Battle of Eisted. It's like a weird, like kind of choral song. Maybe maybe we can cut that in there. I I'll uh, yeah, I'll cut some of that in. Yeah, nice. Yeah, it's a, it's a real banger. <laughs> That, that mid 1800s uh, yeah, choir music, great. And so yeah, the Danes, uh, the, the Danes do pretty well. And this was the the largest battle in the history of the Nordic countries until the the Winter War of Finland and the USSR in 1939-40. And so it becomes, like I said, a symbol of Danish victory. And they end up creating this sort of uh, bizarre, this monument um, called the Isted Lion, which was a war monument um, dedicated to, to the victory in this battle. But no one really knew what it was for and what exactly it was commemorating. Some people were saying, well, maybe it's... Um, it's uh, it's commemorating the victory itself, or some people are like, no, well, it's it's commemorating the dead, and so no one exactly knows what it stands for, so no one knows where to put it, and this <laughs> becomes this really like comical thing going back and forth, um, because it was built in Flensburg during uh, Danish rule, but then it was moved to Berlin by Prussian authorities after the Second Schleswig War in 1864, and it was in Berlin until 1945. 
Then, following the Second World War and the occupation of Germany, it was returned to Denmark as a gift from the U.S. Army and then was located in Copenhagen. And in September 2011, it was finally then returned to Flensburg. But if you've been in and around the Berlin area, you might say, wait, no, there's, a, there's, this, other, there's this other giant lion, right? <laughs> and that's true because there is also another, there's a replica of the lion. The lion, the, the original lion is bronze. And the Germans were kind of unhappy that, um, that there was this monument to like their defeat. And so they were like, you know what? Actually, we're going to have, um, we're going to have our own lion. And so in 1874, a zinc copy of the monument was built in Berlin. Uh, it paid for, I think, privately by this like banker, Wilhelm Conrad. And so there's a, there's a zinc copy of the bronze original. And then that was later moved to Wannsee, um, right next to the house where actually the, the Wannsee conference took part. Mm-hmm. It's a bit weird because the because he was like, oh no, we're uh, we're gonna have our own line to commemorate like the glory of the Prussian generals. Like I said, it wasn't exactly clear what the monument exactly was commemorating, so it enabled the Germans to just say, oh no, no, that actually that's a symbol of us being good at war, not us losing a battle. And so now there are two lions, and one of them is uh, one of them is in Flensburg, and one of them is in Wannsee. That was a preview of our premium episode. You can listen to the whole episode if you become a supporter of Spaßbremse on Patreon. There will be a link to our Patreon page in the show notes. And if you're not able to support us monetarily right now, we totally get it. There will be another full-length episode coming to your podcast feeds next week. As always, thank you so much for listening. Tschüss!